shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Every single spring, that first day that I walk outside and I see that yellow dust all over my truck, I'm like, that is Satan's dandruff. It destroys me. I legitimately can't go outside for longer than three minutes because my eyes get swollen, my eyes get puffy, my nose gets congested, and I just simply can't breathe. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. When I started taking Claritin D about two months ago, I can finally get back outside and play pickleball again, which is what I love to do, but I couldn't do it because my allergies were so bad. Claritin D has legitimately allowed me to go outside again, ready to live life as if you don't have allergies it's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. What is good, fam? Welcome to episode two of Human Hope. I can't believe I get to say that episode two. Guys, you've stuck around for another episode, at least the first 15 seconds of another episode. So thank you. Thank you so much for subscribing uh, and sharing. I am, I just, I, we need to start here. I am overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Like I'm still not over it. I still have zero chill about the fact that we debuted the show. Debuted? Debuted? What's the word? Whatever the word is, it happened at number two on the society and culture podcast category. I, 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 I still, I still am like speechless. And I just want to say thank you. Not only number two in society and culture, but number 15 overall on every single podcast on planet earth. We were hanging around with Joe Rogan, Michelle Obama, um, stuff you should know, this American life, uh, all news, Newsweek, all the all the podcasts, all the New York Times podcasts, and it's because of you guys. It's because you guys did everything that I asked you to do, and you shared this with your friends, and you were excited. And I mean, let's be honest, it was the governors that showed up here and elevated this puppy to the number two status. And here I sit. I'm recording this actually on Tuesday, uh, the following week, so it's March 9th when I'm recording this. You guys will get this on March 11th. But it's still in the top 10 of society and culture. You guys are still listening to this. And so, I mean, listen, I don't know. Like, I'm not a podcaster yet. I can't, I don't think I'm going to be able to call myself a podcaster until maybe episode 10, right? If I pull off 10 of these bad boys in a row, I'll say, guys, I'm a podcaster. Uh, But the, the reason why I do feel like a podcaster is I'm in Southern California now and I had to lug another suitcase filled with my podcast gear. So I'm here for you guys. I'm doing this. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. It meant the world to watch this thing uh, take off like it did. And here's the thing. That's just the beginning. Like this thing that we're going to go, we're going to build this thing. 
We're going to build it into a community and a movement of hopeful humans and of hope giving humans because there's people that are listening to this podcast, humans listening to this podcast that are in desperate need of hope. And there's humans listening to this podcast that have the hope they need. And I'm just here to bring us together so we can help each other find that hope that we all need. I can go, I can go, I mean, I can go on and on and on how like my daughter's boyfriend is the first one that found out even before I woke up, he's blowing my phone up. Uh, he's texting my daughter and he's just like, your dad is number two. Anyway, guys, it just was an incredible day. And literally thousands upon thousands of you guys shared, uh, shared this. I mean, there was over 2000 just shares of my Instagram posts. So I can't even count how many you guys shared on your own without even tagging me. So I just want to say thank you. Thank you. What, what is that? Five minutes of thanking you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is your show. Uh, I just happen to be the connector between incredible humans. So thank you. And thank you, Sharon. Uh, she's so wise. She's everything I know that you guys wanted her to be. Uh, and we're, we're going to have her back on here. Uh, this episode, uh, the guest is very special. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm actually overwhelmed that this person agreed to come on here and share just some of his insights and some of his thoughts on a pretty, not a divisive topic, actually. Um, this is a topic that I think can unify us together. My, my, my guest is me, me. I'm just me. I'm, I'm, I'm thanking myself for showing up for this interview with myself on a topic that I feel like is going to, uh, again, propel us towards hope. You know, I told you guys last week, some of these episodes are going to be interviews. I've got a whole bunch of interviews in the can already. Some of these episodes are just going to be me talking to you through my learned experience, ways that all of us can become better at doing this human thing. And some episodes are going to be, again, me interviewing strangers. It, they're just all going to look different. But at the end of the day, again, they run through the funnel of hope. And the topic I want to sit on today, the topic that I've seen probably needs the most conversation this last week when it comes to news and really what our culture and society is looking at. And really the last few months, to be honest, as I've seen scandal after scandal and opinion after opinion, the word is empathy. Empathy. Why in the world would we want to talk about empathy? Because I believe that empathy could transform your life, which will transform the lives around you, which will transform your communities, your cities, your states, and even this country. I believe that when we get good at empathy, it just shoots us straight towards healing. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, because I do believe that empathy could be one of the main keys that unlocks the healing with racism in our country, with sexism in our country, with bigotry in our country, and really with the divide that we find ourselves in. I poll my Instagram audience often, and although some days it creeps one way or the other, we're about 50-50 split when it comes to what side of the aisle people lean towards uh, in their political views. And the beautiful thing about empathy is this is necessary for both sides. This is necessary for people that believe and stand 
on the most on both sides of the most divisive topics. Empathy is going to be what I believe we need in order to find more hope and more healing. So sit back or walk or ride or whatever it is you're doing when you're listening to this podcast as I give you some very practical tips on how to increase the empathy in your life in order to increase the hope in others' lives. I, like you, could not wait for Oprah and Meghan and Prince Harry to get on my CBS and give me the scoop. Uh, This was a bombshell interview that many people had been waiting for because we're just fascinated by celebrity. We're fascinated by the royals. We're fascinated by all of those things. And to watch Oprah, who, I mean, again, we have trust issues. It is 2021. We, well, I've, we've never had more trust issues as a country. But if, let's just say, for instance, that you do trust reactions. To watch Oprah empathize with Megan was something to behold. The, the empathy that we saw was like jaw-dropping empathy, right? If you watch the interview, what we saw was Oprah react to Megan, really, really two kind of jaw-dropping moments. The first one was when Megan said that she had suicidal ideations. She was extremely depressed. She tried to get help and she couldn't get any. And so she let us know about her mental health crisis. And you could feel it, feel the empathy pouring out of Oprah in her responses. That was kind of empathetic moment number one. Empathetic moment number two was when we heard Megan talk about the royal family being concerned about the color of her baby's skin. And that empathetic moment, Oprah's jaw literally dropped. Like, you could actually hear it on a clip here. And also concerns and conversations about how dark his skin might be when he's born. What? And who who is having that conversation with you? What? So, um... There is a conversation. Hold up. Hold up. There's Stop several right conver- now. There are several conversations. There's a about conversation it. with you. With Harry. About how dark your baby is going to be? Potentially, and what that would mean or look like. Ooh. So you may be asking yourself, and maybe we need to get to the definition of what empathy is before we go any farther. Because I I feel like it's really important for us not to get confused from Jump Street, right? So let's Let's kind of differentiate between sympathy and empathy, okay? Empathy is feeling with someone, okay? You're feeling with someone. So the actual definition of the word says the ability to understand and share feelings of another. Sympathy, on the other hand, is feeling sorry for someone. Not with, but for someone. And so that definition of sympathy actually is feelings of pity 
and sorry for someone's misfortune. So I used to believe that you could only offer empathy if you've been through the same experience as somebody else. And it definitely helps, but that's not what it's about. Empathy is just feeling with someone. Sympathy is feeling for someone. And what you saw Oprah experience was empathy. She was feeling with, she was inside of the feeling with Megan. I mean, can you see the difference? When we're struggling, we long for empathy, and yet we often get sympathy. Man, I don't need your sympathy. I'm not looking for people's sympathy. Sympathy doesn't get us anywhere. It doesn't move the needle of hope forward at all. But empathy, on the other hand, it does. And the reason why I want to use this example is because you can see stark differences in somebody that has empathy and somebody that doesn't. The next morning, just like you would expect a lot of the tabloids to begin doing, the empathy scale for Megan and her mental health crisis was very low. The cream rises to the top. Pierce Morgan showed exactly what we don't do when it comes to being empathetic, especially with somebody that's struggling with mental health. Listen to the opposite of empathy, which again, isn't sympathy. It just straight up is the opposite of empathy. I'm sorry, I don't believe a word she says, Meghan Markle. Well, that's a I wouldn't believe it if she read me a weather report. 99.9% of people aren't like that dude, right? Like that that's just like mean. And you would you would think that, but it was amazing how much of that I saw. Saw it in my DMs after I called Megan Brave, people came in and they're like, "She's a liar." It's like, "Oh my gosh." I saw it all over Twitter. People were just in a kind way even. They try to make it as kind as possible, didn't believe her. And uh, empathy, empathy, empathy is just missing. And, and I know half of it has to do with the fact that we're staring at phones instead of staring in other people's eyes. Shannon and I talked about this last week. When you get face to face with somebody, a lot of the negativity goes away. And honestly, the empathy begins to go up. Why is that? Because when you see eye to eye with somebody, they become a human being and not a caricature that you've invented in your mind. And so that's why it's so important Take a step back and figure out how is it that we can empathize. And so before we, before I give you like six or seven very practical, tactical ways to improve your empathy, let's talk for a second about maybe some, uh, maybe some people, some versions of ourselves, we'll say, okay, because I'm guilty of all these. Some versions of ourselves that are really bad at empathy. So say somebody comes to you with something and you could believe it or not believe it, it's shocking to you. I'll call this version, this non-empathetic version of ourselves, the bright sider. This is the person that wants to really give you the silver lining in your pain, right? They, they, they're, they're so uncomfortable with hard stuff that they honestly will say anything to make something more positive. Now, I've been guilty of this because I'm a super positive guy, but you know, it's like, well, um, at least your, um, uh, the cancer is pretty treatable. Or, well, at least, you know, you may not be married at 40, but at least you've got a lot of great friends. Or at least, like, in theory, those responses are supposed to make somebody feel better that has just shared bad news with you. But honestly, it's diminishing their pain. And it's, it's really what it's doing. It's making yourself feel better because you're so uncomfortable with the conversation. So, first of all, don't be a bright sider. And again, I want to let you guys know, I am guilty of this. I am super positive, dude. Uh, but since I've been on the receiving end of it a few times, I know how much it hurts. So don't be the bright sider. 
Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so the next non-empathetic version of ourselves that a lot of us will find ourselves falling into, and again, accidentally, because this isn't like, this is who we want to be. I like to call these people the, um, or this version of ourself, the it's not so badder. Okay, so the first one is the bright sider. This one is the, well, it's not so badder. Now, who, who are these people? These are the ones that when somebody is telling you a situation in their life that is difficult, you find a way to minimize the conversation, right? You want to make it smaller, A, so you can get out of the conversation because again, it doesn't feel good. And nine times out of 10, the it's not so badder isn't blatantly trying to be disrespect, disrespectful. They just simply don't know how to handle the subject matter that they've just been presented with. I've done this, but 2020, I found this, this is, oh my gosh, this may be one of the most prevalent uh, versions of ourselves when we're lacking empathy, especially when it comes to conversations about race. I know for me, here's the deal. The majority of my friends are white. They are white, middle-aged men here in America. And when I suddenly began to talk about race more and more, it got them really uncomfortable. And a lot of different versions of lack of empathy exploded in my face or popped up in my face. But the one that I think hurt me the most was always like, well, Carlos, like, it's not so bad for you because you, you know, your mom's white and Mexican and it's just your dad that's black. So like you have lighter skin, so you don't have it as bad as other black people. It's not so bad. They're minimizing. And every time they would do that, I mean, it would, it would twist the knife inside of my soul because as I'm trying to tell them about my reality in America as a black man, they were making sure because it made them feel better that they were somehow telling me how it's not as bad as the blacker guy, right? Carlos, like, it's not so bad. Now, they weren't saying that, but that's what they were saying. And so just try to not be that it's not so bad or minimizing only maximizes the person that needs empathy's pain. Okay, this next one, I don't want to hurt all my Enneagram One friends' feelings. This is where a lot of you guys will fall into when you're showing a lack of empathy. Okay. Not saying you have it, but if you ever start showing a lack of empathy, sometimes this is the one that comes out. And I like to call this one the counselor. There's nothing worse than when I'm sharing something difficult or when someone is sharing something difficult, when you've shared something difficult to someone else and they quickly become the fixer, right? Uh, the advisor, the counselor, um, they become the expert. And I've, I've seen this again so many times in my life. I'll rewind back to 2019. You guys can go, I've got in, an Insta story highlight, five highlights of my daughter, Sohela, in the hospital. Um, she was in there for a month. We were trying to figure out what was wrong with her. Um, the doctors couldn't figure it out. And although I am so grateful for people that came to me with, their expert advice. I had a lot of doctors. I had a lot of 
um, infectious disease experts coming to me saying, hey, this may be what's wrong with your daughter. Those were actual professionals. Or when somebody has gone through the exact same situation I have, again, I appreciated those things. But what I didn't appreciate is when I was sharing my pain and what would get sent back to me was a solution. When someone is sharing their pain with you, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, as much as you think that they want you to fix it, they don't want you to fix it, to counsel it, to advise it. What they want you to do is simply to hear it. That's it. They want you to hear. They want you to listen. They want you to be. And I know it's hard for the fixers out there. There's so many fixers out there, so many counselors out there. Wait for the right time. Empathy is so important that you just get inside of their pain with them and just be there. It's actually okay. And this is so hard for the, for the fixer, right? For the advisor, for the counselor, right? To just be there and not offer a solution. Gosh, talk about like some homework. Like this week, if that's where you seem to fall when it comes to empathy, your struggle with empathy, find somebody that has a problem and actually don't try to fix it for them. Just be there with them. Just be there. Um, empathy, like one-on-one classic. I have a friend named Rob. And Rob um, Centel, he came to the hospital and we were so, so worried. Actually, I, actually, I'm going to have my wife tell you this story. I, I'm going to actually call her. I don't know if you guys will be able to hear this or not. Um, but I'm going to call her because what he did was so beautiful. And this is the perfect example of somebody being empathetic as opposed to trying to fix a situation, right? Instead of trying to be the fixer, the advisor, the counselor, uh, this is just somebody. And Rob is, I don't know if he's an Enneagram one, but he's a fixer, man. This guy gets things done. He is a solution finder. He sells insurance. He makes sure that people don't get hurt. He knows the rules, but that's not what he did for us. Let me see if I can get a hold of Heather. She'll tell us. Hey, babe. Hey, babe. I have a question. I have an answer. Can you tell me the story of, I'm talking about empathy, um, and of when Rob, I feel like this is a great example, when Rob came to the hospital, Centel, uh-huh. and, and instead of trying to like fix, fix us or offer us advice, can you tell us what he said to you that what I feel may be the, one of the greatest example of empathy? I don't know which story you're talking about. Uh, you know, wasn't it? Di- didn't he say something like, you don't have to feel this? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily. I'm going to tell Heather style, not Carl style, okay? <laughs> I don't know what that means, but go ahead. Rob uh, came in and said that, like, I don't have to be okay because he is okay. And so, therefore, he can stand in for me and um, be okay. And so, like, I, I couldn't be okay. I couldn't, like, I had no fight in me. I had been through that moment. And so he came and was like, you don't have to be. Like, I'm actually good. And so, because I'm good, I will stand in for you, you know? Yeah. That is, it was one of the most beautiful experiences to have Rob come in, look at my wife, who had nothing left inside of her. And he didn't try to fix her. But what he said and said 
was, you know what? You don't have to be okay. I'll be okay for you. You don't have to be strong. I, I, I'm strong for you. You, you don't, I, I, I'm not even going to give you any advice. I'm just going to be here. I'm going to feel what you feel, but let you know that I am strong and I am okay. And because of that, I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to stand in your place. That is beautiful. Thank you, Rob. If you're listening to this, you probably, you don't even know I have a podcast, but thanks for doing that for us. So again, don't be the counselor. Don't be the advisor. Don't be the fixer. Just listen. Just be. Be there with them and for them. Okay, another alternate ego version of ourselves that lack empathy. I'm going to call this one the, oh, let me tell you about her. I know this is a very scientific way of explaining lack of empathy, but these are the people or these are the versions of ourselves that when we hear something hard that's happening with somebody else, we feel so uncomfortable that we say, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I know, um, yeah, my aunt Janice, uh, she went through something like that. You, you know, like we, we want to come in and uh, avoid feeling uncomfortable. So we tell a story. So we kind of roll through all the stories in our brain to find um, something that has happened to someone that we know that maybe should make them feel better because we understand. But no, that's not empathy. Telling them a story about somebody that we knew or something isn't empathy. Empathy is listening and being and sitting with them, okay? Nine times out of 10, the story you're going to tell them is probably going to make them feel worse. Gosh, I mean, you guys know if you've ever been through something and you share it on Facebook or on Instagram and your DMs are filled with people that are like, I mean, I'll never forget when Sohala was in the hospital. People were like, oh, when she finally got diagnosed with histoplasmosis, oh, oh yeah, my, my sister got histoplasmosis in 2013 and she is still, still suffering with histoplasmosis. She still has a hard time breathing. So, you know, I'm going to pray for you that that's not the case for you guys. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so encouraged. No, stop it. That's not what we need to be doing. Okay. So don't be the, oh, let me tell you about her. Just don't be that person. Okay, so really quickly, let's recap my incredibly scientific definitions here. Uh, the bright sider, don't be that person. The, it's not so bad her, don't be that human. The counselor, don't be that human. The let me tell you about her, right? Don't be any of those errs, okay? Um, we, we don't want, and, and it's hard. I know it's hard. It makes us feel better. But I'd say from Jump Street, try to take notice as to how you respond to bad news from people. And then you can maybe lump yourself in one of those places and you can, that's a good starting point. Now let's, let's get to some good news. Okay. Let's get to how can we climb out of these places? How can we be more empathetic and how can it actually benefit us in our lives? We, we, we do understand, we have to kind of understand where we're at. Like we're literally surrounded in bubbles by people that look like us. They spend money like us. They vote like us. They think like us. And really at the end of the day, like the result is a lack of empathy. It's a lack of empathy, but there's data. There's data that shows that just because more and more of us are doing nothing but encompassing ourselves and people that think and look and smell and taste and talk like us, there's a way out. There's a way out of this singular way of thinking. And, you know, I don't want to blame anything, but we can blame the devices in our hands. We, we, we follow only people that think like us on social media we listen to podcasts of only people that think like us. And what it does is it, it removes empathy. We are no longer forced 
to see eye to eye, especially after 2020. Talk about Zoom. I'm so tired of Zoom. You guys tired about Zoom? I'm tired about Zoom. I'm tired. No more Zoom. I want to see a human being eye to eye. And I believe that just that in and of itself is going to, you know, propel us towards empathy. But we have to be so purposeful with our empathy in the, this season, in these times, because we will lose it very quickly if we just surround ourselves with our little bubbles that are exactly like us. So I want to give you guys very specifically some things you can do to raise the empathy in your life. And when you raise empathy, guess what? You decrease racism. You decrease sexism. You decrease colorism. You decrease all of the things that we're fighting so hard against right now. And I believe empathy could be that missing key. So let's dive into six specific ways we can increase our empathy. Okay, let's get super practical for a few minutes about what all of us can do. Those of us that are already empathetic or those of us that are that have a hard time being empathetic. All of these things are going to propel us towards being better humans, hopeful humans, okay? The very first thing we got to do is bust out your bubble. Bust out the bubble, okay? What do I mean by that? We're all in our bubbles. We're all following the people that we want to follow. We're listening to the podcast that we agree with, all those things. Why don't you find somebody that thinks, looks, acts, and lives differently than you do and start talking to them? Not just talking about uh, like lighthearted things, but deep things like get curious about strangers that you don't know. Get curious about people that have different lives than you. Uh, Jody Halpern, she's a psychiatrist uh, at University of California, Berkeley. She says this. She says that for me, the core of empathy is curiosity. I, I love that because when you're curious, you dig into deeper sections of somebody's soul than you were than you would be if you're not curious. So like what, what are some practical ways that you can bust out your bubble? Well, literally find a stranger and have a conversation with them. I know some of you guys are like, oh my gosh, there's no way, Carlos, there, Carlos, there is no way that I'm going to just have a conversation with a stranger. Listen, it doesn't have to be like this like super like sketchy stranger, but how about like a colleague or a neighbor you 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 know, I guarantee you there's a neighbor you don't know. Invite them to lunch, ask them what their life is like. Actually get deep with a stranger. You guys, I don't know if you have seen the Black Bunny video on my Instagram, but where I had kind of built up a racial bias towards a neighbor across the street from me, an old white man that never said hey to me. He had an American flag hanging from, from his front door. And I just thought he was racist and didn't like me. That was my bias I built towards him. And I'd never talked to this neighbor for four years. I tried, but I never actually walked across the street. Now, you can go to my Instagram, you can watch the video. And when you see it, you see that the second I actually took a risk, took a deep breath, walked across the street to my brand new friend called James, all of all of my bias fell apart. We're going to get to, to kind of racial bias in a minute, but what it took for me to grow in my empathy is to walk across the street and to risk being humiliated by asking my stranger neighbor a question. And when it did, it opened my eyes to his life. So do that. Start conversations with strangers, you know, follow people online, listen to podcasts, people that you don't agree with. I, you guys know, like I, I don't hide my opinion here. I don't try to get you to have my opinion, but I definitely don't hide my opinion. So like I lean 
left. I'm, I'm towards the center, but I lean left. But I specifically listen to Ben Shapiro. Now, he's a guy, he's a, he's a uh, conservative thought leader that I disagree with a lot of what he agrees with. But guess what? I listen to him every day because I finally found that he's somebody that I can stomach, okay? He's, he is a voice of conservatism that doesn't come across, for me at least, he may for a lot of people, but for me at least, I can learn from him and see what a lot of my friends who listen to him are thinking. So find people that you can listen to that think differently than you and, and learn from them. Again, you're not trying to become them. You're not trying to think like them, but you are trying to understand them and learn from them. Get out your bubble. Bust out your bubble. One, one more thing on busting out the bubble. I, I want to talk specifically to like church going people here. If, if all you know when it comes to like worship and going to church is like your, whatever your church looks like, if you were like mega church, Hillsong, Bethel worship dude or dudette, if you're that person, I want you to find a full black gospel church in your community and I want you to go and I want you to sit there and I want you to experience that worship. Like those are the things that, that we need to do. We, we need to experience life from somebody else's point of view. So again, what that was one extra little caveat on bust out the bubble, but that is the goal to bust out the bubble. Next, what we all need to do, another very practical thing that we need to do is we need to challenge our biasness, challenge our prejudicedness. Prejudicenessness, whatever that thing is, challenge it. And when you begin to challenge the bias that is in you, which is what happened when I challenged my bias with my neighbor, okay? When I admit my bias and challenge it a little bit, you're going to see this is going to be the, the fastest way to remove any sort of racial bias you have in your life is to straight up acknowledge it and, and face it, like face to face. Every single person listening to this podcast right now has racial bias. I don't care if you're black. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're Hispanic. I don't care what it is. We all have biasness when it comes to race. And we've got to acknowledge those things, say them out loud, so that those biasness don't turn into something grosser, like some sort of, of racism. Race, we'll get into this is a whole other conversation with what's the difference between racism and racial biasness, but we all have bias. We all feel certain things towards certain people of opposite. You could say you don't, but I promise you, you do. We all have ways we can work on this. So when we admit that we have bias, when we admit that there's prejudice inside of us, all of us, all of us, okay? I know people don't want to hear that, but it is true. When we first, that is the starting point. Gosh, I'm telling you what, you can get to the ending point of removing that bias so much quicker then you will, if you're like, ah, I don't know, man, I love everybody, Carlos. No, 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 no. I know you love everybody, but there's bias inside of you. That is, a great example is uh, Claiborne Paul Ellis. Okay. This dude was born in 1927, like in a poor white family, Durham, North Carolina. Okay. So he like had a rough, rough life. And, and he honestly believed that African-Americans were the cause, black people were the cause of all his troubles. So he did what his dad did and he joined the Ku Klux Klan. So I was like 1947. And guess what? 
this guy, Claiborne, he rose to the very top of the KKK. And I think they called him the exalted Cyclops. Okay, first of all, can we talk about that? KKK, can you guys come up with like better um, names for your leaders than exalted Cyclops? But that's an aside. Okay, so check it. 1940-something, he is like now the exalted Cyclops of the KKK. He hates black people. He's in North Carolina. And, and he's, you know, living with his family, you know, doing, doing life. Then in 1971, he was invited, okay, to a 10-day community meeting to tackle racial tensions in schools. Okay, so so when 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 he was invited, he actually did this because he knew that his he didn't want his kids to have to deal with black kids in school. So he went to this uh, committee wanting to separate the blacks and the whites. But what ended up happening was he was chosen to head the committee with a lady named Ann Atwater. She was a black activist. You got Ann Atwater, the black activist, and then you got. Claiborne Paul Ellis, the exalted Cyclops. And suddenly they are co-chairing, co-steering this committee on tackling racial tension in school. So what ended up happening is when he worked with her, you know what happened. I don't even have to tell you the rest of the story. Over 10 days, it began to like explode his prejudices, like against black people. He saw that like black people in his community were facing the exact same problems he was facing. And he actually was quoted as saying this. I was beginning to look at a black person, shake hands with a black person every day for 10 days and see black people as a human being. This is what he said. It was almost like being born again. And as the story goes, it says that on the final night of the meeting, he stood in front of a thousand people and tore up his KKK membership card. He became uh, an organizer for a union whose membership was 70% black. And him and Ann, they remain friends the rest of their lives. Listen, I can't think of a better example of how when you challenge your own racial biasness, that empathy literally can propel us towards hope and propel us towards healing. So check it in yourself. You know, you can Google like bias test on Google and you can find a lot of tests that you can take, which I promise you, be careful because they're going to shock you. Uh, You can take and you can see how strong your biasness is. And uh, I think it's really important that we all agree that we've got it, we face it, and then it can, once we face it, we can work on it. Uh, and, and when you work on it, that's going to, again, develop the empathy that you're looking for. Okay, the third very practical step on helping you develop empathy is to find what privilege you have and use your privilege for the underprivileged. Okay, so whatever privilege it is, that you've got. Now, let's just be honest. Here in America, white people have the most privilege. And if you want to get into colorism, light-skinned black people have more privilege than dark-skinned black people. So what I want you to do is to find the privilege that you've got and then use it to lift up the voices of people that aren't as privileged as you. When you lift up their voices, very important. Don't talk over them. Don't talk for them. Your job to build empathy, is to simply lift up their voice. That is it. You don't even have to stand up and introduce them as the black person that I'm lifting up their voice because I'm trying to find my empathy. No, that's not what I want you to do. Simply, and every single person, okay, there there was 30,000 people that listened to this first episode. All 30,000 of you have privilege in some way, shape, or form, 
over somebody else. And I want you to find a person that is underprivileged compared to your privilege scale. And I want you to lift them up. What is it that you can give to them that will lift them up? What is it that you can give up that will lift them up? What space can you vacate for them to come in and have a voice? Find that. And again, that's going to be very practical way of establishing more empathy in your life. Okay, this next one is one that I'm actually going to do an entire podcast on, but it's it just is a very practical step when it comes to developing empathy in your life, which is don't stand on issues, but walk with people. I'm going to get my friend Mike, if I can, who taught me this, uh, to come in here and unpack that a little bit more over the course of an entire hour. But for right now, just know that when I say don't stand on issues, walk with people, whatever it is that you're passionate about, whatever side you fall on on an issue, I want you to find somebody else that is on the other side of that issue and I want you to walk with them. I want you to try in their life. I want you to literally do this. So what does that mean? What does that look like? That means if you are a Black Lives Matter protester that is like, you know, screw you, Blue Lives Matter. What I want you to do is I want you to find a police officer that you can have lunch with. If you are a Blue Lives Matter back the blue, you know, Black Lives Matter, they're a bunch of Marxists. They're a bunch of like, you know, they want to destroy the nuclear family of America. <laughs> I want you to find a person that believes in Black Lives Matter and that goes to marches. And I want you to walk with them for a day. I want you to have dinner. I want you to ask them, why is it you are marching? And I don't want you to listen to reply. I want you to listen to understand. Thank you, Sharon McMahon. But that's what we need to do. Walk in their shoes. Try someone else's life on. You know, it's funny. I, uh, I can't remember what comedian, I think it was Neil Brennan, who talks about how, oh, is it, or is it Dave Chappelle? How, how like, it, it, it is mind-blowing to me how you can actually, like, request a police ride-along. Like, that's something that is, like, I know so many of my black friends that, think that is the craziest thing ever that somebody would like, you can call a cop. He could come to your house, pick you up, put you in his car and you can drive around with them all day long. Like that is crazy sounding to a lot of black males. You've got to understand me, right? The empathy, if you don't understand me, the empathy can grow in this space. Okay. That's crazy. And so I, I need you to know how crazy that feels to some people. And the reason why that feels crazy, you're going to discover when you go have lunch with the black male friend that I'm asking you to have lunch with. When you can ask him specific questions for the point of understanding, not of replying. So do it. Step number four, try on somebody else's life. Okay, so talking about empathy, one of the easiest ways for you guys to get to quickly empathize with somebody else is reading. Quite simply, reading. So find books of people you're having a hard time empathizing with and read them, okay? Read books. If, if you're having a hard time empathizing with people, understanding, you know, if they're whatever mental health issue they're having, um, read, read, read my friend Jamie Torkowski's book, If You Feel Too Much. It's a great book, okay? If you're having a hard time understanding a black American's life or understanding me, if you follow me on Instagram, there's lots of people that don't understand um, the reality of being a black man in America that I try to express on Instagram. I tell them to read some books. Here's some books you can read for that. 
Um, the New Jim Crow, Mass Incarceration in the Age of Color Blindness by Michelle Alexander. That's a, that's a great one. Um, How to Be Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. A lot of people don't like that book. I do. Okay, you don't have to like the guy, but I like the book. Uh, Waking Up White by Debbie Irving. That's another great book. Okay, there's, there's a whole bunch of uh, great books when it comes to understanding what it's like to be black in America if you're not. And again, the goal is not to sympathize, but to empathize. That's what we're trying to do. So read a book, find the area that you're lacking empathy, find somebody's story that you can read and read it. That'll propel you towards empathy. Hi, friends. We are at our last one. Guys, first of all, thanks for hanging out this entire time. I am tired of my own voice, but hopefully I'm giving you guys the tools and practical things you guys need in order to move forward in growing empathy in your own heart. That's the goal of today's. Next week, we're going to talk with a friend again, but today I just want to thank you for hanging on with just my voice. My voice is tired. I can't imagine what your ears feel like right now, but this last one is going to be pretty ambitious, okay? So the last step or practice I think you need to put in place to grow your empathy is going to be difficult, but I have found it very rewarding, which is empathizing with adversaries. Oh, 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 yeah. Okay. I'm not just talking about people that you, you know, people that you don't understand or people that disagree with you. I'm talking about like the straight up enemy, right? Like the one who like you feel like is against everything you believe in, right? The, the enemy, <laughs> um, this is hard. You know, when we think of empathy, we automatically think that that's a word that needs to be reserved for like those living in the extreme social margins of our society right? Those that are suffering. Um, and although like that's, that's okay. And th- that's very important. That's actually not the only people we need to be empathizing with. We need to be empathizing with those who are like directly oppose us, the adversary, the enemy. Now <laughs> enemy may be too strong of a word, but here's a great example. If you like campaign for global warning, global warming, maybe try to step in the shoes. I, I know it's hard, for just a second, but of like an oil company executive. Now, I know you're thinking, <laughs> okay, all they want is money. And that may be true. But listen, for a second, if you really want to devise a strategy towards helping you be heard by them, you must step into their shoes. The ones that are in direct opposition from you. I'll never forget what Gandhi declared in 1947. Okay, so um, obviously Gandhi like one of the world's greatest peacemakers during, it was 1947. There were, it was like during the uh, main conflicts between Muslims and Hindus leading up to the Indian independence of 1947. He declared this, I am a Muslim. I am a Hindu and a Christian and a Jew. Now, does that mean that he was a truly a Muslim, a Hindu, a Christian and a Jew? No, it's not what it meant. But what it did mean is that he was trying to step into those that directly oppose what he believed. Not only us, but again, now, if you're listening to this and you're like a leader of a large organization or, you know, I mean, let's just, oh, I don't want to, maybe I don't want to go here yet, but let's just, let's lean into like some of the the COVID stuff, right? That's been happening with churches that are kind of going against the grain. And then those of us that are like thinking that the churches shouldn't be meeting because they're super spreaders. And suddenly it's like, it's like, we see the enemies, right? So, but step into what you believe the enemy shoe is. Again, this is, they're not really enemies because I think everyone's after the same thing. But step into the person that is completely counter to your argument and 
honestly try your hardest to just pull out one. That, that, that could be the goal. Just pull out one point that you think, ah, oh, maybe this is an okay point from their point of view. I just think that in this, uh, in this like, like just look, look within, find your own truth kind of culture. We we're, we're looking so far deep into ourselves that sometimes all we see is like our own belly button. When the truth is, is like we're, we need to gaze up and glance down instead of like gazing down and glancing up. No, like look out, become interested in the lives of others, uh, become interested in in why other people believe so passionately what they believe. And I promise, if you can just try your hardest to find one, just one, just one, one thing that you may think, you know what? I get it. Because in order to move anywhere, in order to, to successfully find healing as a country, we've got to learn to have empathy so that that empathy can allow us to have conversations with those we disagree with. And then that those conversations can propel us towards resolutions that hopefully can allow us to compromise a little bit on both sides to finally get to some progression, to some steps forward towards hope and healing. Guys, that was a lot about empathy. I, I don't think I ever want to talk about empathy again, but what I do know is that if you guys truly take these six practices, look at these six practices, see what you can implement during this next week. And also maybe take a look at uh, the four um, versions of ourselves that are not empathetic, see which ones you can relate to. And I think if you do this and you start putting these practices into motion, you're going to become more hopeful. You're going to find more hope as well. Friends, we have come to the end of the Second episode of Human Hope with your host, Carlos Enrique Whitaker Guzman Archibald Cabello. So grateful that you guys hung out for a few minutes with me. And let me maybe press some buttons that you didn't want pressed. Um, that's okay. We've got a really, really exciting episode next week. The guest on next week's episode is not me. And I promise you, when you guys find out and you hear who it's going to be, you're going to be like, how did you pull that off? This is everything that 1996 me needed and didn't know I needed. So uh, trust me, you're going to want to come back. Make sure that you guys hit subscribe. Make sure that you guys share this with your friends. Uh, rate the podcast. Review the podcast on all the platforms. We're trying to get it on Stitcher. Uh, so if you guys are listening online and you've got an Android device and you're wanting us to get on Stitcher, we're trying to get there as soon as possible. Thank you guys so, 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 so much uh, for believing in me, believing in the show, believing in the power of hope, and believing in the power that you have inside of you, which is to give somebody else hope. So, at the end of episode two, this is Carlos saying thanks so much, and we'll see you next week on Human Hope. Mm-hmm.